With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 113, an episode brought to you by Bailey Ladders. The second stop on the 2022 WSL Challenger Series, the GWM Sydney Surf Pro, has been steaming along the past week in Manly with an international field vying for placement on the Elite Championship Tour in 2023. As of recording, we're down to the final day of the event, so good luck to all the remaining competitors. And by the time you listen to this, we will have crowned our winners. And then we have the long-awaited Quicksilver and Roxy Pro G-Land event, the sixth stop on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour and the first following the mid-season cut. We have a sharpened field of the world's best surfers for the back half of the season, returning first to a venue that hasn't seen this level of competition since 1997. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 113. Today's guest is someone who was a virtual unknown outside of Australia last year, but has since become world-renowned as the Lucky Country's blue-collar champion. Competing as a rookie on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour without a primary sponsor, he finaled at the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, an effort that propelled him inside the midseason cut. He then immediately went to Snapper Rocks and claimed a big win at the opening Challenger Series event of the season, and is eyeing even bigger goals for the back half of the CT season, starting at the Quicksilver Pro G-Land this coming week. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Evans Heads' Callum Robson. The good old clap, take one. That's right. (laughs) How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put him up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> All right. So we have 2022 WSL CT rookie and rookie of the year contender at the moment. Winner of last week's Boost Mobile Pro Gold Coast Challenger Series event. Callum Robson on the lineup. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Dave. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, you know, first things first, we, we we were on the Gold Coast last week where, when we're recording the, the Manly events happening, but where are you today and, and what, are you, what are you getting up to? Who are you hanging out with? Yeah, I'm at Palm Beach right now um, on the Gold Coast still. I, um, I went for a surf this morning and did some coaching session with my, my coach, Richo, just at Palm. It was like one foot, but just still... 
just get a little session in and um, start prepping for the back half of the year. G land coming up. I leave on Monday. So, yeah, just kind of getting in the mindset to compete again. I had a little break after um, the Goldie event, after that big Oz leg. It was pretty stressful and um, a lot going on. So to just kind of unwind and um, decompress and look at what did well, what didn't do well, just kind of evaluate the whole the whole leg. And kind of that first half of the year, kind of feel like it was like the the, the front half where before – like before the card and then now looking at the back half it's a whole new season in a way so just kind of like looking at it and okay okay where's the yeah just working out a bit of a program for the the back half of the year so now i'm excited i feel fresh i feel i'm um, ready to go so excited for the amazing locations we've got coming up absolutely and, and i definitely want to dive into kind of that that headspace shifting here in a little bit but i wanted to start and you can heat check me on this but part of me thinks that our conversation is either going to be the grand reveal of a long overdue major sponsorship for you or potentially one of the last conversations for someone like yourself with a vacant real estate on the nose of your boards because you've been on such a heater at the moment and the entire surfing world's really taken notice of the fact that you're an amazing surfer, you're having all this success and they're really rallying the industry to come and support you. I'm curious if you've been aware of that conversation just happening out in the surf media and, and and in social media and stuff like that yeah like obviously i'm aware of it i think stab as soon as i won the manly comments one of the th- first things they posted was something that said um so what does this kid have to do to get a major sponsor something along those lines so um for me it's just like i think that'll all happen when it like when the time's right and i'm just not putting any pressure on myself to to making sure i, I get something right now or whether it comes six months further down the line whatever it may be I just my goals and my focus stays the same of doing as well as I can for me I don't see myself like people say kind of been referring to like make sure you strike while the iron's hot or something like that along those lines but for me it's like I don't feel like the iron's gonna get cool anytime soon in my head I'm gonna still keep pushing my foot's on the hard on the accelerator so um, I'm just excited to just, yeah, obviously just put my best foot forward for the next few events and kind of keep trying to just, yeah, put put it to, out there that I'm doing my best surfing. Um, I feel like my best surfing is yet to come and I guess when somebody sees the value and what I'm doing and um, the direction I'm heading, they'll jump on board and whenever that happens, I'm, I'll be welcoming and I'm, I'll be stoked to get along that journey. Fair enough. And I guess one more question on this topic. Could you confirm or deny that, you have been having some conversations or less people have been coming to you. Maybe with starting some of these conversations just after the last few months. Yes. Yes. There's been some conversations. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. I, I appreciate the, uh, appreciate yeah. the candor there. So let's go back. Let's go back a couple of weeks to the, uh, the gold coast event. First off, uh, massive congratulations um, on your win there. The surfing was incredible. I, I always trip out. I was talking to Dimity Stoyle last week and I was saying, you know, I've been there so much for work and, and for pleasure. And anytime I see waves on the Gold Coast with just a few people out for the contest, it still trips me out because every time I'm there, it's just wall to wall people. But mm. man, you had an amazing run there. Was it always the plan for you to do the opening event of the Challenger Series, regardless of how you performed on the CT? Or was that something that you said, look, you know, I'm in Australia. Yes, I've qualified for the back half of the CT season as well as the start of the 2023 season. But, you know, it's Magic May, it's Snapper Rocks, and I'm going to I'm gonna go there and get some work done. 
Yeah. Um, as soon as that, that whole Challenger Series schedule come out, I'm pretty sure it come out at the end of last year or, uh, or the start of this season. Um, and I was always going to do Snapper regardless. It's it's kind of a home event for me. It's in my backyard. Um, I live in Evans Head, which is just not too um, far down the road, about an hour. So for me to see that event come up, growing up, I always just shot up here, watched the whole event. Well, I watched Julian and Felipe's final. I've been always around this Gold Coast event. And for me, it was the pinnacle of surfing um, growing up because I obviously didn't, I wasn't able to travel, different things um, when I was younger to go to events. So for me, the Gold Coast event was the epicenter of my whole year when I was younger, looking forward to an event to go watch. So as soon as I got the opportunity to go that, it was a no-brainer. And obviously, like you said, how when do you ever see Snapper with four guys out? It's not a thing. It doesn't happen. So... It's a world-class wave and something that everybody on the Challenger Series and the CT were just like so stoked to be able to share a lineup with nobody out, um, with four guys out. Or And then as we comp progressed, there was two of us and it was pretty sick getting Jet Ski Assist. It was a such an amazing event. WSL really pushing to try and get those Challenger Series in better waves and really trying to elevate that that QS and Challenger Series to a level where it's um it's not too far behind the CT. So I think Snapper is, one, is a big step in the right direction in that regard absolutely and i would say if you look at the entirety of the 2022 challenger series calendar you know snapper rocks in may and it's probably going to have the largest field of ct surfers out of any of the eight events i think there was 30 something ct surfers that ended up competing it's basically like a like a stage between the challenger series and a ct so to win there is a is a huge deal and and I'm not super duper familiar with your, your QS or your amateur career, but I'd imagine that that winning that event at, at Snapper Rocks is up there with with the most important victories of your your young career already. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was my first major win, so um, I've had a win in the in the regionals and the QS five thousand at Cap at the Tweed Coast Comp, um, but that's my biggest result to date. So, um, and like I said before, that's Snappers. Snappers on that list for me of top events you want to do well at and you want to win. So um, for me to be able to tick that off straight away, I was over the moon. And yeah, just just like you said, the the, the caliber of CT athletes were in there. There was Kelly, there was amazing surfers. Like looking at a heat draw, it was, so, it was pretty gnarly. So yeah, to, to be able to progress through that event, have some good scoring. I feel like I, I pushed my surfing a little bit more in that event and I kind of guess that's where the results came and that's why I think moving in this back half of the year, taking a few of those things that I felt like I wasn't doing that well in the CT and trying to just implement them for this back half of the year and work on those. And yeah, I think it's going to be exciting back end. What were some of those things that you felt like you weren't doing that well in the first five events on the CT, even just one of them that you, you admit to kind of saying, oh, I, that's something I'm working on for the back five events? Yeah, I think just attacking more, being a little bit more like on the on the attack uh, i tend to i feel like i'm pretty consistent like i i know what what makes me perform well i know what headspace makes me perform well i know like in terms of strategy different things like that i feel like i've got a good understanding of um how i can be consistent and i feel like using that base for the back half of the year but adding um my surfing i feel like i haven't been serving my best throughout the first five events and i think it's more so me just backing my skill and not being as strategic like obviously um there's a time and place but i think for me it's more so making sure i'm aware of that time and place where it's like okay this is an opportunity to back your skill maybe go one of those waves that's 
that's kind of maybe not not a clear like wave to go, but you're going to go it anyway and just try and surf it up, like different things like that. I think in Margaret River that kind of stung me a bit. I, I, I pulled back and didn't go a wave and tried to wait for something a little bit better. And I was surfing against Griffin and but he got the wave under me and then got back in rhythm where I kind of had that heat at the start. I had the rhythm and then I gave it back to him. So just kind of just different things like that, just making sure I've got my front foot forward and just, just going, yeah, just taking opportunities when they come. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, this is interesting season because it's the first year the redesigned tours and competition framework, the three tier systems operating in full flight with the mid season cut and even the new schedule which I think for a lot of veterans who'd had this operating rhythm of, oh yeah, every year, you know, we start at Snapper Rocks in, in late February, early March. We're in Australia. We've got 10 events. We finish in Hawaii. You know, that was the schedule for 20 years. And then this year we basically fired everyone out of a cannon. You know, we're like, oh, we're starting at Pipeline late January, early February. It's prime season. Then we're going to Sunset Beach. Then we're going to Super Tubos in the middle of winter and then Bells Beach, and then Margaret River, and then we've we've implemented this mid-season cut. It, it felt like it rattled a lot of people who had been on tour for a while. But you coming on as a rookie, I'm wondering if you've given any thought to maybe it was an advantage coming in fresh and not having had kind of that rhythm of the last two decades and being like, I'm here, I'm here to perform, I'm going to do my best, and, and I'm not going to take anything for granted. Have you given any thought to, to maybe how that's played from a psychological standpoint for you so far? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it the other day in terms of like um, somebody asked me about what I think about the card and things like that and what I – and for me, I've known nothing else. Like that's – I've come on fresh and I've known nothing but that card. And coming into it, I knew there was going to be five events. That's really stressful, really a lot of pressure on the on the line from the get-go. And that's how I come in, being aware and being um, prepared for that. And I knew it was going to be – I knew I was going to have to perform straight away. There was no getting, no getting my feet and kind of getting my feet in the wax, so to speak, and different things like that. I knew, I knew what I was in for when I come into it. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a an advantage or not, or um, yeah, but that was my mindset coming into it. I knew what I was in for, and like I said before, I I didn't know anything else. I hadn't had a full year ever to get used to it. Even even on the Challenger Series last year, coming in, you had four events and you had to be consistent across all four to make it. There was no. There's no like eight, ten events where you can kind of pick your moments to perform. You have to be consistent, um, and that's what I think I'm I'm good at is that I'm I'm able to be consistent, and that's for me moving forward is just working on that consistency and bring my surfing up to a level where I can challenge the top guys. Absolutely, and let's see. Started the year ninth at Pipe, seventeenth at Sunset Beach, ninth at Super Tubos, and then it clicks for you at Bell's Beach. Walk us through approaching that event. I'm not sure what you're ranked heading into the fourth event um, of the season, but probably needing a, a mega result. Had you competed at Bell's Beach much before? Like, what was what worked for you there as as sort of a, a major result um, and making your way to the finals, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I haven't spent much time down at Bell's. I've done one junior event, which was at Ginger down there, which is a beachy close to Bell's, and. And yeah, I went down probably a week before the event started and went and did a coaching session with Adam Robbo and um, Kyle Bell Warren. And from that, I got a lot of inside knowledge and a lot of um, understanding of the wave. And for me, what makes me perform best is getting a good understanding of the wave and what it takes to um, what sort of waves you're looking at, different things like that, um, structure of the reef, structure of the swell directions, 
that that way I can go put my heat strategy and my brand of surfing on that wave, um, and then all the answers kind of come a lot easy, easier for me. So um, to do that that training block and then to go down there, we had no waves before the event was terrible. Um, while every CT guy was there, and so I'd already done that work before I even got back down there. So when I was there, I wasn't feeling any like I had to go chase chase um chase my tail trying to surf small ginger with i mean small um winky pops small bells with all the ct crew out and hassle i kind of already knew my spots knew what i was looking for and i was just kind of going touching on it each day so um that was super helpful and then just having a good relationship with kale who i worked with, with throughout the event we had a few clear things we're working on kale knew how i operated in terms of heats and stuff and he really was was really good at um, facilitating what I needed in the right times. And, yeah, we had a good relationship and just working on a few things. I think mentally I got in a much better headspace for that event, letting go of of a lot of pressure I was putting on myself and different things like that and, and just welcoming all the new pressures that um, come with the cut and, and just being real at ease with, not even at ease, but just, just be, trying to get comfortable within that uncomfortable situation that we're all in at Bells. I think that was important and just embracing it. Makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you brought up Adam uh, Robertson because he actually was on the podcast right before the Bells event. And he said uh, verbatim that you were the person to watch out of everybody. And he said that you fit into mm. the wave straight away, which he must know his stuff, man. You had an amazing event. And, you know, talking about Kale Bell, Warren, I, I think you... It, it, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you had a pretty good little training group down there of yourself and Connor O'Leary, Jackson Baker, Owen Wright, Morgan Sibillic. Um, I think you guys are calling yourselves the Wombats. Is that right? Like, and and if so, you know, like yeah, yeah. talk us through how that how you guys got together and what it's like just to have that kind of support group of elite surfers pushing each other at an event. Yeah, yeah, like you said, <clears throat> um, we had an amazing group that we all decided to shoot down there. We were doing a camp at Surfing Australia and um, a few of the boys were talking about going down. Morgan and Connor were both saying it and then last minute Owen and I jumped on and um, glad we did because it was an amazing camp. We got some fun waves that actually turned out to be so similar to what we surfed in the event window. So um, to be able to have the people like Owen, Connor and Morgan, all people that are kind of veterans, I feel like it's a bit of a culture shift in in surfing in a, as a whole, but I feel like more so in Australian surfing, um, the older generation opening up and being willing to share their knowledge and willing to let let their guard down in a way where whereas they're welcoming questions, welcoming young guys on, whereas before I, I feel like they were kind of shutting that out and um, I feel like it's it's been so beneficial for me to be able to just learn a lot quicker from just the information those guys are delivering to me and like they've had so much experience like i've been leaning on owen a fair bit in terms of just like event knowledge and event specific um information and yeah it's amazing and that little block before bells was epic we're just feeding off each other it's just like we're like you said we caught ourselves the wombats we're trying to just fire each other up and um everyone in that group was needing results um so i think i think it was just a great healthy positive um group to just feed off and learn off and we're all having massive big discussions about technique about different styles that suit bells and i think moving forward i'd be definitely keen to keep that that kind of tradition and um 
in that same culture about just sharing information and, and kind of doing that event prep together. I feel like surfing is such an individual sport and that team element has been left out of it. You see the Brazilians, they've brought it back. Well, they're kind of like the, they're the leaders in that um, resurgence of bringing that team kind of like mates environment. And I think it's a no-brainer, especially after especially after experiencing it, especially on the Challenger Series, feeding into a bit on the CT. I think there's just room for it to keep growing and growing and helping out all the young Aussies trying to get back to the top. Um, I think, yeah, it'd be stoked to see a good push come. It's about time. For sure. And I mean, it, it is one of those things. I'm glad you brought it up that, you know, surfing is, is an individual sport. But when you look at all the people who've had major success, whether it was Kelly or Andy or Mick or Gabriel, I mean, they all had a group, you know, it was Kelly and the Momentum Generation, it was Andy and the Wolfpack, it was Mick and the Cooley Kids, it was Gabriel and the Brazilian Storm. So that network is super important. And it is an interesting thing. Like you are now one of the sole torchbearers for Australian male surfing on the CT, which it struggled in recent years. It struggled kind of since Joel and Mick and Taj and 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 their colleagues sort of transitioned out. And you guys are really the next wave. And it's it's probably harder than ever to make inroads onto the CT. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're we're all aware of like where 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 it's been going in terms of like okay the last generation was kind of like that mick and parko dingo the coolie kids and it's kind of been this the brazilian kind of takeover and then the americans have um taken over and been doing having great success and i think it's important for us to look at what they've done well what they've done well and try and take some of that because it's all we're all trying to push the sport we're all trying to grow and especially the young aussies leaning on each other because we don't all have the big financial backing of major companies and the, the industry is not where it used to be in terms of the financial space so for us to share and be willing to um engage in like in group settings of, of like learning and stuff like around events and sharing information and, and kind of because it's it, i feel like for me it opens up bigger discussions and we can go even have more in-depth conversations that are more meaningful than just like the surface level conversations that usually have sometimes like a little bit of that small talk i feel like once we start talking we just keep going and going and then we end up for me it's like that self-discovery i find it from me talking um to different crew it makes me feel like i can dive deeper into my own mental space and then yeah i feel like it's it's a great thing and i'm yeah stoked to be part of it now while we're while i at least am operating under the firm belief that you know your time is going to be imminent when you sign with a major sponsor. You have had support. You know, you've had modem uh, accessories. You've been writing uh, Sparrow surfboards, I think, for the last several years with Adam Fletcher. And those boards have looked unbelievable. And it seems like you have a real connection with your shaper there. Can, can you talk a little bit about how you and Adam started working together and what you've been working on specifically now that you're at the CT level? Yeah, Sparrow um, is how he's known to me. He's kind of his nickname. He's um, Adam Fletcher, like you said. But yeah, he's he's had a massive influence in my development in terms of just making sure I've got what I need to perform. As when I was younger, I was just paying for boards, different things like that. And um, I can't remember. I think it might have been through a mutual friend. I think it was from when I was riding with the Huey boys. They kind of introduced us when he was shaping for Super. Um, and I jumped on board as part of the super team 
and that was through when I wasn't doing that well and I didn't really have a, a career or anything or even just like even a good path like I didn't have a clear path that I was going to do well so um for Sparrow to jump on board and support me in that time um I feel like I feel so privileged and um it's been such an honor to share this space now that I'm doing well with him and watch his brand start to grow and I like to see it we always talk about it, it's like the Mick and DHD situation where Mick made DHD who he is today um, and the brand it is today purely on mix well like probably for another reasons but I'd say the single biggest one would be mixed success and world titles and different things like that so I hope to do a similar thing with Sparrow I'm I'm invested in in what he does for me and he's invested in me so yeah I'm stoked to be able to ride his boys and like you said they're going amazing which is number one so and that's something I value in Sparrow is that he's always striving to make better boards for me and that's important to me to to see that yeah, I feel like it's just the beginning of, of amazing relationship and the boards are just getting better and better. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to talk about where you come from, the Evans Head community, wh- what it's been through and just how important that relationship is, uh, not just for you, but for them and having you. So we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
So just before we went to break, um, Callum, we were talking about where you come from, which is a spot on um, the northern New South Wales coast in Evans Head. Um, were you born and raised there as well? Yeah, I was born in Lismore, which is 30 minutes inland. And yeah, I was being born in Evans Head. I lived in the one house for for 20 years until last year where we moved out. Um, it's a little bit, my parents sold their family home and we moved out to Woodburn, which is um, further inland, but it's probably like 15 minutes from the coast. So yeah, we, they built a, a new place there and that's where I'm kind of based out of that Evans Woodburn sort of region. Wonderful. And and what was life like growing up? What did mom and dad do? Did you have brothers, sisters? What, what was it like? Yeah, um, growing up in Evans was was good. It was small. It's a small fishing community, um, pretty small town. It's pretty football and kind of rugby league, kind of like that sort of stuff. That's a big part of it. Um, and yeah, growing up, my parent, my dad was a builder, a carpenter, and my mum was a nurse. I have two sisters, both older than me, so I'm the youngest. And yeah, I've got my whole a lot of family and friends that all live around. Most of that, my family lives around Evans Head around the Gold Coast, around that area. So, yeah, my whole family's around me, which made it great growing up. I'm pretty family-orientated. I love going, we have big Christmases at home with everyone around. And, yeah, it's, life in Evans growing up was pretty sick. And how did you get into surfing? Did did your dad surf? Did your mom surf? Were there other activities? Did you play football? What was it like growing up? And and how did surfing sort of take root as your your primary focus? Yeah, my my parents were always involved in the Surf Life Saving Club around Evans Head. Um, so my dad and mum both uh, rode surf boats. Um, so I've always been around the beach sort of thing and just playing on the beach, different things like that from a pretty early age. I wasn't – I surfed bits and pieces throughout that time, just like nothing serious, kind of just like on the front of my dad's board, different things like that. But I was my, my whole focus was football and rugby league when I was growing up. I played rugby league from when I was probably about eight years old to um, about when I was fourteen. So that was my whole goal, and my whole my whole life was focused around football. And I wanted to be a professional football player all the way until I was like fourteen, and then I well, I started surfing because my sisters kind of got into surfing, and they were kind of um, doing a bit of longboarding things like that around Evans Head, and it wasn't until my cousin, who's now kind of my coach, mentor, and kind of just like he's just been a massive part of my story in terms of helping me get to where I am. He kind of come along and started taking me surfing, and that's when I, I went on a trip to Indonesia with my dad when I was probably like 14, and that's what switched, like flipped the switch for me. And I was like, okay, when I got back from that, I was like, I was going, I played footy for probably like half the season after that, and my head just wasn't in the game. I was always thinking about surfing, like when can I go surfing, different things like that. I was just like full frothing on surfing after that trip. We went to um, Sumatra, yeah, South Sumatra we went, and after that I was hooked on surfing. and started surfing my cousin a lot. And, and then I started doing com competitions around when I was like like late 14, early 15, started trying to competitions, and um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Oh, it makes a lot of sense that, that <laughs> football took a back seat. But I am wondering, though, like, because you are fairly uniquely built physically for the CT, you, you're big boy, you're strong, you've got such power um, in your surfing. And I wonder if you've considered that, you know, your development in playing football and maybe building a physique based on that kind of a game has been an advantage in your surfing at all. 
Yeah. Well, my dad and my whole family grew up playing football. My cousin now plays for a, a rugby league team, the Cowboys here in um, in Oz. So, yeah, I think that whole football has just kind of been part of my story. And it's got, I guess it's kind of a lot of people refer to me like look like I play a little bit of footy and stuff like that. So, um, Is that a compliment in Australia or how does that work? <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. I don't, yeah, yeah. It is what it is, I guess. Um, <laughs> I kind of build a, bit, a little bit like just thick legs kind of things like that um but yeah it helps me in my surfing i feel i feel, feel like that's where that kind of consistency comes from i i feel strong on my build my board i feel solid um my big like kind of like heavier legs bigger legs kind of suit the more powerful waves that we've been having on tour and um yeah it definitely does play into some of my strengths but um yeah yeah i guess it does <laughs> No, I'd, I'd say for sure, just as an observer. Now, what are the waves like down in Evans Head? Do you have point breaks? Do you got beach breaks? Like you, you mentioned that the waves on the CT this year are suited for a surfer like yourself, but what's it like at home? Do you have like similarly powerful waves, even if they're just sort of beach breaks down there? Yeah, Evans Head's like the worst, like the worst spot around where I live for waves. We got like soft point breaks and <laughs> um, and pretty soft beaches. So for me, it was always going to like places like Ballina, Lennox Head, Iluka, places like that to kind of get that power. But for me, like I feel like since I've been on tour, I've kind of been getting put in this category of power surfing and power guy and different things like that. Whereas growing up, that wasn't so much about my like how I saw myself. I kind of was doing airs, and when I won that that Tweed Coast comp, I did it doing kind of airs. So for me now to be pushed down this route of power surfing. I feel like it just um, it opens me up to be like, okay, I feel like I've got all these airs to show and um, I can't wait till we get to our locations where I can show it and um, and combine both my power and my airs. So. Yeah, that, that, I was just going to say that's really interesting because I think the tour is always looking for the next generation of power surfers. I think it always will. But it's interesting to hear you say like, you know, I'm, that's great. Like I, I love the way I surf, but I've also got this whole bag of tricks that I haven't unleashed yet. And it's it probably, I mean, I would imagine that in the back half of the year, you're going to have the opportunity, maybe not at Garagigan, but when we end up at El Salvador or, you know, Sacarema, even sort of J-Bay and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I can't, I think that that first half of the year was just like, okay, let's just put the foot down and try and make it because the, the real like premier locations are coming up in the back half. You get J-Bay, like you said, El Salvador, G-Land, Tahiti, those sort of spots are just amazing. So. I can't wait to kind of go put my brand of surfing. I haven't surfed any locations, so um, for me, it's all brand new, and I'm excited to see how my surfing fits on these these waves. You mentioned, you know, Ballina and Lennox Head and Byron Bay, and um, all beautiful places that I've had the privilege of uh, going to quite a bit as well. Um, in recent years, they've been plagued by a lot of wildlife, a lot of shark attacks, and I'm I'm curious if that was your experience growing up. Was it something you were aware of, you know, sharks in the water? Have you had any run-ins? Is it something that's on your mind now when you're down there training? Yeah. Yeah, sharks. When I was younger, it wasn't such a big focus. Like, I feel like, I don't know, like, we obviously there was that massive, ex like, explosion of, of shark activity probably, like, five years ago now um, where there was a few attacks around Ballina, Byron, Evans Head, there was an attack. Um, there's a few, I think there's a couple at Yamba. Um, and it seemed to just be these massive, yeah, there's this, I don't know, it was just like all of a sudden there's all this shark activity. And that was never a thing when I, when in my early days growing up surfing, like obviously sharks were around and things like that, but it wasn't so much. Oh, like I would come home from school late and I would surf from like 
I would have like the last half an hour of light and I would surf into the dark. My mum would sit up on the on the um on the platform with her flashlight, like flashing it, telling me to come in, but I was like still just trying to get that last wave and, and surfing in the dark and not seeing anything of it. Whereas now I would, I would be never doing that. I'd be like <laughs> we come in well before um the sun comes down and it's just yeah, like the other day we've been having massive runoffs of um of flood water throughout the through the rivers and stuff like that. So there's been heaps of bull sharks. I was just down at home on the weekend and uh, my mates were saying there was massive sharks busting up straight in the river mouth, whereas where we usually surf. So there's definitely, it started to taper down, but that explosion of shark activity was pretty scary. And we, we kind of all held back from surfing a lot of, at a lot of times right. that we usually would just go in the water. Um, we had to be a little bit more cautious. Yeah. And I'd, I'd imagine too being, from where you're from having it be a, a a fishing uh focused community that there's probably a lot of just talk about theories as to what's been happening even from the fishing community because they probably see the uptake tick on their side as well yeah there's, there were, there's so much it's kind of like the covid thing you don't you don't even open that bag of worms you don't even start talking about it because it just people have got some pretty strong opinions and i just kind of keep out of that all that conversation i'm just like I don't engage in it, but yeah, like you said, there's a lot of theories, a lot of different things that were getting spoken around that time. And um, yeah, if you wanted to read into it, you could, but um, I don't, I don't have an answer for any for what happened around that time. And I don't think, yeah, I don't know whether they do or not. But yeah. So you mentioned kind of how you got into surfing, but also it sounds like you know, relative to all the junior superstars around the world, you got into it relatively late. You know, who were some of your contemporaries that in Australia that you were competing against um, when you when you started competing in the pro juniors? Who were who were some of the bigger figures that you were that were pushing you to surf better? I guess is a way to think about it. When, when I started the pro juniors, I was kind of like that year below, and um, I, I had a one year of competing against like Ethan Ewing, Morgan Sibley, crew like that. So that was where the initial, where especially Ethan, that's when he went on that dream run of. Pretty sure he won like so many pro juniors that year, and then he went straight on and blasted through the QS and made the CT. So that was kind of my first look um, of what that kind of level was, what it took to be at the CT level, and kind of that um, that upper that upper level of the QS. So yeah, it was that that were kind of the, the initial people that started the started my my kind of journey on that QS. And then when I when I started when I started doing well, it's kind of like Kihu Butler. Um, is he uh, a guy from NZ who was pushing me a lot? Yeah, I can't really think off the top of my head. But yeah, Liam O'Brien, crew like that. That was kind of my the people that I was surfing against. Hmm. And I mean, that, that's I mean, Kehu Butler, Ethan Ewing, Liam O'Brien, Morgan Sibillic, like like accomplished world class surfers, which I'd include yourself in that group too, of course. But since you came to you know elite level surfing not elite level surfing because you're still so young but i guess competitive surfing relatively later than probably a lot of your peers they were probably doing it when they were eight or nine or whatever was there a moment for you where you realized like oh, i'm 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 in the mix i can do this this can be a career for me was it an event or was it more just kind of a gradual thing where you thought no i'm doing this this is what i'm doing that's interesting because i i never kind of felt like I never felt like I was going to make, like I never knew, I was like, okay, I never thought like, okay, I'm definitely going to make this. I kind of just through growing up, I kind of val I value more like the the improvement 
the kind of I want to see how far I can take this. It wasn't so much like I know I'm going to make it. It was more so, all right, I want to see how far I can actually go with this um, because I didn't. It wasn't clear for me until about like a year and a half ago now, where I I put down I, after COVID, I kind of it made me really look at myself for who I was and what I wanted to do, and kind of shaped in my head what I wanted out of life, and and I kind of dug deep and and kind of. Um, yeah, found out who I was, what made me tick, things like that. So um, after that, after I found out what made me who I am and stuff, I kind of was when I, I went, all right, well, now it's clear for me. I know what I want. I want to try and push being a professional surfer as hard and as far as I can go. And I went all in on this um, pro surfing journey. And um, that's when I started seeing my best success. Um, that's when I started seeing myself rocking up to events and I let go of whether I was going to make it, I wasn't going to make it. For me, I was like, I'm right. I'm in this journey for the long haul now, and I'm going to commit myself every day to doing the one percenters that I believe was going to get me there. And I, I work with sports psychologist a lot on that. Um, at a surf mm. in Australia, his name is Patchell, Jason Patchell, and he helped me a lot in terms of uh, really discovering what who I was and what made me perform and what made me tick. But that was a long journey. I worked with him for about three years, and I feel like. For any young person coming up, making sure you have a good understanding of who you are and what what your values are. Yeah, how you perform is important because that's the building blocks of everything. It's how you you rock up to events and you're not worried about whether you're up against the biggest names or the or the smallest names. You're out there to do your best no matter what. So that's important to me. Absolutely, and I for all the world class surfers that have ever matriculated through the system and ended up on the championship tour, your run on the QS was was pretty brief right like 2017 to 2020 you know marked by you know pretty major results a third at the neos pro in 2019 a second at the mandura pro and then you're on the challenger series in 2021 all while navigating you know a global pandemic but you get a fifth at the us open you get a ninth at Aracera, 17th in france and a seventh in haleiva it's such a, as you pointed out like it was such an abrupt challenger series last year because of the pandemic there are only four events you know the story behind the day you qualified for the championship tour where were you and and how did you find out um yeah my my friend liam my friend liam had just qualified liam o'brien and i can't remember i think he might have made a heat and then he knew if he made that heat and it kind of got out and we were all celebrating that and just like stoked for him and i knew there was a heat where I knew that if I made that, I was in a good position. I'm pretty sure I was first in Zeke, um, Crosby, a few other people at Halle Aver, and I, I knew, all right, if I make this heat, I'm in a pretty good position. But it wasn't, and it wasn't until I surfed that heat, made it through that heat, got home, and Kale um, was doing, he has his own little podcast called Lit Podcast, and he was doing um, yep. like the the updates via that Instagram. He was doing like, oh, he was like breaking down the what people needed when they were going to, when he thought they were going to make the jump and stuff. So when I got out of that heat, he's like, oh, Callum's made it. But I didn't want to believe it until I got the call. And sure enough, when I got back to the house, I got a call off off Trav Logie and saying, and as soon as I seen it come up, I knew what it was about. And I went out the front deck and tried to make it quiet. And I think Jacko seen me on the phone and he, and he knew he knew as well what it was about. And I got the call off Trav and I was just like, it just confirmed everything to me that, um, yeah, all right, in 2022, you're going to be, on the world tour surfing amazing locations and your dreams kind of come true and we went down to the billabong house and did a celebration for liam um for making it and then 
we had a few beers and it kind of turned into a bit of my celebration as well because I qualified and it was it was a great day. And yeah, it's just, especially the fact that Liam qualified. I knew I was going to be on tour with Morgs, um, who we're all close mates, Connor, Jacko. It was just like this kind of, it was kind of a bit of a fresh Aussie look. So I think, yeah, I was that moment was pretty special to me and I remember that for for a while. I love hearing that because uh, you were talking about what it was like on your side of the call. I was with Travis because I was staying with Travis when he was making that <laughs> phone call to you. And so it's it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear um, how it went down on your side. It is amazing, like just looking at, again, like the, the work you've done on yourself, understanding yourself and just how rapid your ascent to this level and success at this level has been because I'm going to keep beating this drum of of you know, a lot of these other surfers have been, you know, competing and had huge sponsorship support since they were probably pre-teens, you know, and even your colleagues like, you know, Liam and Ethan have been with Billabong, like Kay, who's been with Quick, um, Morgan's been with Rip Curl, like you had, you know, you were with the Mad Hooies and now you're, you're waiting for the next opportunity. It's just, it really is amazing what you've been able to accomplish in such a quick period of time. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, I haven't had that traditional upbringing through the system with uh, major sponsors and things like that. So for me, I, I left school and started a, a carpentry apprenticeship with my dad and and I've kind of done it an alternative way. I kind of went, I, I started working with my dad purely as kind of a way to act, allow me to free up and be able to surf a little bit more and have the freedom to go to competitions. And I did work with my dad and realized how much I hated being a carpenter and working and getting the tools. And so that was a massive driving force for me of going, okay, I never want to have to pick up a tool. I never have to want to work for my dad ever again. And um, That's driven me to where I'm at. And I feel like it continues to drive me. And I, I feel like I know, I know what I want. I know what I don't want. Um, so for me, it's a clear path and I know where I want to go. And yeah, I'm mean, just excited. And that's, that's for me is the journey is what it's all about. I want, uh, I will love waking up every day and being able to go train. I love being able to go surf, work on my craft, have high, have really good conversations with people at the top of their um, field in terms of like S&C, uh, physio, psychology, different things like that. I love talking to them, people and trying to learn and um, different coaches. Love being able to try and soak out as much information as I can. And I guess for me, I just love being a student of, of the game. I love trying to just, yeah, learn as much as I can. I, I find a great deal of satisfaction of finishing the day and going, okay, this is what I've learned. This is how I think it's going to make me a better surfer and stuff. I don't know. I just enjoy that aspect of it. You know, it, Callum, like, like all of us, and I think as you've mentioned in this conversation already, you know, we're all to a degree products of our environment. And it sounds like, you know, the person you are and your successes has largely been shaped by the Evans head community. And, you know, that's a community that's been through a lot in, in recent months, um, particularly, you know, the, the horrific flooding that happened um, just a few months ago in March of this year. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what that was like for you? I think you were probably overseas competing at the time, you know, and, and, and how you've been able to engage with, with the community, you know, then and since in terms of how they've dealt with that flooding, which, um, was all over sort of our media, um, but it, it was just really radical. Yeah, all that, all the flooding kind of just took place recently. Um, that kind of happened just when I was in Portugal. We had the it was the mm. largest flood in recorded history in Australia here, mm. and 
it was pretty it was it was brutal like honestly it was it was pretty heartbreaking being away from home when you don't even know how your family's going you because the, all the towers were down like all the um, telephone towers were down so there was barely any communication from from back here at home um to me where i was in portugal so for me it felt like more so it was just like okay is my family safe or is my friends safe are people actually alive at the moment because where the water was going back at home now it's it's mind-blowing it doesn't even make sense how it can be that much water in one place it was like two-story buildings high full of water for as far as your eye could see so for me going home and seeing that it doesn't i can't even wrap my head around it it's wild so and down to, and to see the devastation that it caused especially away not being able to do anything it's heartbreaking and going back there now and seeing woodburn um where my parents live the people people's living in caravans it's just like i feel like it's just yeah it's so devastating and to see that when i was over to see community support how much everyone just jumped on board we didn't get the um, northern new south wales didn't get the media coverage like a lot of the big cities did like brisbane and things like that which everyone's going through um wild stuff and crazy times but um i felt like the northern rivers and northern new south wales were a bit left out of that loop in terms of media coverage and um and kind of eyes on so to be able to hopefully use my platform to raise a bit of awareness um and kind of put back into them and because the community support has been a massive part of my story in terms of the gofundme um, to even be able to have a chance at qualifying through, through the challenger series they jumped on board and supported my journey so to see them go through tough times and hopefully um, i can give back to them as much as i can we've actually launched a fundraiser which is um like a it's like a giveaway we're going to give away some um boards you got to buy a ticket in the raffle it's like a big raffle and um, we've got a signed ct board we've got prizes from my sponsors um, there's also a, a day surfing with me at the hpc and it's all available through um, my website calmrobson.com.au and yeah if everyone could buy a ticket it'd be awesome it's going to be amazing and hopefully we can raise some funds for um, the people back home they're doing it so tough still and yeah that's a massive part of who i am and shaped me to be where i'm at so if i can give back in any way shape or form um, um yeah i'll do it in a heartbeat absolutely and um but yeah everyone who's listening go and check out callumrobson.com.au um it's for a good cause for sure and i just think it's as you pointed out it's such a beautiful thing that that's the community that supported you uh you know to follow your dream on the challenger series and that you're doing what you can to support them right back um so i, I think it's it's a uh, it's huge yeah cheers thank you appreciate it no, of course. Yeah. So we've got a couple more topics and some listener questions for you. And we're going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. 
For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com code the lineup 1515 all right so we've spent a bit of time talking about how successful you've been already on the championship tour but one thing i love hearing firsthand from rookies on tour is just their experience in terms of the performance gap between the qualifying series, the challenger series, and the championship tour. A lot of times you get surfers that are so hyped by the industry or the media, everyone expects them to perform right away on the championship tour. And more often than not, they qualify and they just run into a brick wall um, because the speed and the talent and the strategy and just the performance level is almost underserved by the broadcast people don't appreciate how good it is or how fast it is or how powerful people are but you've been in the trenches so i, I want to hear your opinion on whether that's true or not or what you've noticed just in these first five events from the collective level at the championship tour yeah it's a good point you say for me i think sometimes you can come onto the ct and overhype and feel like you need to overdo and um you need to surf out of your skin and um i believe that uh I can only do as good as I can do and that I'm going to go and um, try and just, for me coming into the CT, I was like, okay, how can I lift everything I do just that little bit more, um, but still stay in with who I am and, and just bring up my best every day, every day to be able to perform at that level. I feel like there's no point trying to be someone you're not at this level that you're going to get found out pretty quick. So it was just interesting for me to come to the CT and try and put my brand of surfing um, on display and see where they got scored and how it got scored. So, but yeah, I guess the the gap the gap I more so see is like in terms of like the mistakes. Like if you make a mistake here, you're usually going to pay for it because um, guys are that good and and the level, like you said, yeah, you definitely there's no there's no easy heats, there's no cruising, there's no pacing yourself into an event. You've got to just put your best foot forward in every heat you surf in. And that's kind of my approach full stop anyway. Like I don't do anything half-assed. I do everything 100% and I try, whether it be that Challenger Series, that Snapper or my, my first heat on CT, I still approach everything the same way. And um, I'm trying to serve my best, make the best decisions possible. And I feel like, yeah, a lot of a lot of times people can come in and overhype the CT and think it, they need to do more than they, they do need to. But I think if you stay within yourself and, and just put your best foot forward, that's all you can do. You talked a little bit about 
the psychology of, of switching mindsets between those first five CT events before the midseason cut and the back five, I'd imagine that your mental approach to that final event, really anyone that was on tour in Margaret River right before the cut is going to be much different than this first event in Garajagon because not only are you safe for the back five events of the year, you've already qualified for the start of 2023. So it must be like the least amount of pressure you're probably going to feel like at any point of the year. Does that tweak the way you approach competing at these events? Do you feel like you're going to be able to attack it more as you pointed out earlier without worrying about the consequences as much because there's a bit of a safety net in the sense of you're safe for at least 10 more ct events yeah it's interesting you say that about the pressure and feeling no pressure um that's what i found out about at margaret river when i i'd made that cut and everyone's like oh you can go surf with no pressure and things like that but um from that event i found out that I, I put the pressure on myself to do well and, and I need I kind of need that pressure to perform. It, it kind of makes me it makes me aware of everything. It makes me kind of be my my senses are heightened, things like that. Um, so for me, I enjoy I, I kind of make sure I need to feel that pressure and going to places at the back half of the year, I don't think it's going to be a case of there's no pressure, you can do what you want. I feel like that pressure is always going to be there and, and not trying to hide from it and not trying to push it push it away and say, oh, I've, I've got a, I've got 10 events now, I'm safe and um, I'm not coming in with a, a mindset that I'm safe for 10 events like that. I'm, I'm, push, I'm going to keep pushing hard as I can every event to do my best. I think, yeah, I think there's no, there's no time to be safe on tour. <laughs> there's no, there's no place for that mindset. Um, it's a, you watch this this challenger series at Manly. Everybody's just it's dog eat dog trying to get to the CT. And if you be complacent at, at any point in time, there's somebody that's hungry there to take your spot. So I'm just trying to stoke that hunger and keep myself hungry and and trip, just elevating my goals so it keeps me chasing. Just keep chasing because there's no point sitting around thinking that you're safe. I feel sure, sure. And I, I'm glad you brought up the goals because I'm wondering. If you have specifics around those, you mentioned you're elevating them. I'd imagine that a goal was to make the midseason cut, uh, which you did. I mean, you've already made a CT final, which I'm sure the grand percentage of surfers that ever even qualify for the CT don't achieve that. You've won a Challenger Series event. What are your goals in the back half? Is it to win a CT? Is it is it to make the final five and compete for a world title at lower trestles? Like, can you, can you give us a little bit of a, uh, insider look at what those goals would be for the back five events for Callum Robson? Um, yeah, I think, like you said, I think that top five is a no brainer for anybody in this back half of the year. I feel like we've all got an opportunity, um, from wherever we sit to have a shot at that final five. And I guess it's the whole reason why they've made the structure the way it is. It's now a race for that final five. And I know I'm definitely going to try and, put everything in my power to, to be there. But I, I believe that a goal is just a goal. Um, it's just a, it's, it's just an end destination and you can't do, you can't reach that without doing one percenters every day. So that's what I'm going to try and that's what I'm going to focus on for the next six months is or next however many months it is until that um, last event in Tahiti is trying to do all the one percenters that are going to get me to that point where I'm best prepared and, and most ready at every event. So I can put my best foot forward and do my best because that's all I can do. And, I feel like I take, I just, I, I'm comfortable within that, that frame of mind. And that's how I perform my best. It's just 
focusing day by day, stay in the moment. And it's a long year. If you're looking at just projecting yourself at the end of the year and seeing where you want to go, you've got so much time in between that. So you got to be doing everything right to get to that point. Makes sense. We talked a little bit about this, but the back five CT events, Garajigan, uh, Punta Roca, El Salvador, Sacarema in Brazil, Jeffrey's Bay, Chopu. Is there one in particular that you're really looking forward to competing at? I'm really looking forward to, obviously, G-Land, which is right around the corner. I'm going back to Indo. I haven't been to Indo in a while and just excited to get a bit immersed in that Indonesian culture again. It's something I really enjoy. Uh, but for me, the main two is J-Bay and Chopu. I feel like J-Bay is going to suit my style of surfing and then Chopu for the um, the big left barrels are that opportunity to um, be uncomfortable, that opportunity to kind of challenge myself and see where I'm at against the world's best at a, at a wave of consequence like that. It's also the, the Olympic location for the France Olympics in 2024, I think. So an opportunity to, um, yeah, see where that where I fit in that situation because that's a goal of mine. Obviously coming from a big sporting kind of orientated family, Olympics was a massive thing. So looking at that, I think that's going to be an amazing goal and hopefully achieve it. And yeah, Chopu and Jabe, I think they're the two that stick out the most for me. Love it. Well, can't wait to see you compete at all five of them and probably the sixth one, Rip Curl WSL finals at Lower Trestles. So we put a feeler out to our followers on Instagram, people that follow us at, at the lineup pod on Instagram and on Twitter. We appreciate everybody. And um, we got a lot of questions uh, for Callum Robson, but we've whittled them down to our uh, three favorite. Um, so the first question is from at we Weber four who asks, what is your preheat playlist? Preheat playlist. I got a, there's a playlist called A1, which is like, I don't know, I like a bit of, um, bit of rap. British rap, British different stuff, but um, I just like it all depends on how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling a bit low, I'll listen to some rap to get me back up. Um, if I'm if I'm feeling up high, I'll kind of just put the headphones on and listen to something pretty chill just to try and get me back down. It's all about for me, preheat is all about managing your emotions, managing your your levels of excitement, um, anxiety, different things like that, just to get into in a place where you can do your best performing. Question two is from at Charlie JC 15, who asks, what is the major difference you find between CT and CS competitions? I guess we talked about that a little bit, but maybe, maybe there isn't that much of a difference anymore, but maybe there's one or two things that you've noticed between the two levels that you can speak to. I feel like the major difference, I, I guess it's just like the challenger series. We didn't get John, John, we didn't get Felipe, um, Medina, Italo. They weren't there at that snapper event. So. Just that whole, the whole like CT, the the C, in the CT, it's just stacked from top to bottom. There's no, there might not be four guys in the heat and the, and the last guy is like maybe not as good as the rest. It's just like if you've got three men's heats, you know every single person in there is going to, can easily win that heat. Like the challenge series, everyone can win that heat, but you got to be on top of your game. Like really, there's no slipping up on the CT. <laughs> Last question is from at Salty Frames, who asks, do you think mindset rather than ability is what holds rookies back from success on the CT? Um, yeah, I definitely believe that. Um, I think that's pretty clear from Morgan and his mindset, his first year just going in there, um, wanting to take out everyone. And, and then the same with me. I feel like I've got that similar mindset. I want to try and be the best and kind of stake my claim as somebody that's going to be here for a while. But yeah, I, I think mindset in this terms of the pressure and um, being able to handle the pressure. It's 
mindset is everything in sport. I believe full stop. Like I've done a lot of just listening books, listening to um, like podcasts of different athletes, and the main, the number one thing everyone comes back to is mindset and ability to handle pressure, ability to manage emotions, ability to rise rise under extreme amounts of pressure. And I think that's important and it's something I'm conscious of and trying to always improve. So I definitely think mindset is more so where everyone slips up. Great. Thank you to the Instagram community at, at the lineup pod. We're now down to our final segment, which is the lightning round. So these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Last book I finished was David Goggins' one. Uh, you Can't Hurt Me. Best surf film ever? I, I, like, a, I like a bunch. I, not, not one that stands out on top of my head. <laughs> we didn't we didn't mention Gainey's repulse you're fucking awesome in that so we'll give that one a shout oh, out yeah. everyone should check out repulse <laughs> yeah, yeah Gainey's repulse That's there you much. go uh what's one wave you never have to go back to oh i don't want to say one but i don't know some of, <laughs> it's okay you don't have to yeah. if you don't. <laughs> well, as long as one exists you know who it is <laughs> yeah there's one in my head but i don't want to i don't want to hurt anyone's feelings that's that's fair fair and kind um, if you only get to surf one way for the rest of your life, which would it be? Oh, I don't know. Pipe would be pretty good if you could get that like few sessions out there and um, get some good waves. That's pretty enjoyable at the start of the year. So yeah, Pipe would be right up there. Best person to share the lineup with? Um, I'm going to say my cousin Pete, just because he's someone I grew up surfing, and yeah, I love I love going for a surf with him. It makes me feel at home. Worst person to share the lineup with? Who am I going to stitch up here? <laughs> um, who's the worst person to share the lineup with? I reckon Chris Saffis would go close. <laughs> <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate an actual snake. answer to that question for once. That's great. <laughs> oh, he's going to love that. Yeah, he'll love a shout out. Uh, finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe going in. Go get sit in an ice bath after this or something. Sit in there, go do a few hot and colds, and yeah, feel good about myself afterwards. <laughs> That's gonna make me happy. <laughs> good man. Well, Callum Robson, thank you for coming on the lineup. Congratulations on all your success so far. Um, for all our listeners, make sure you go check out callumrobson.com.au to support the Evans Head community. And um, yeah, man, I look forward to seeing you in Garagegon in a in a week. Yeah, epic. Thanks, Dave. It's been epic chatting to you. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Evans Heads' Callum Robson, an episode brought to you by Bailey Ladders. I hope you enjoyed it. The Quicksilver and Roxy Pro GLAN stop number six on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, and the first event following the midseason cut commences on May 28th and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning, copywriting by Dan Willen, and additional support from Miguel Clemente. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges those recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Yugambeh Aboriginal people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.
WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 